Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Ah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Ah, coming into the year, um, I was meditating and I began to ask the Holy Spirit what he would have me speak about publicly and what just the things that are on his heart. And he just began to speak a lot about ideologies, about concepts, about, about ideas that are being propagated in this time and how it is very essential in this time to begin to give proper definition to things. Because we're in a time when almost everyone has a microphone Almost anyone can have a platform of 2 million, 10 million, 20 million. And with that platform, they can... There's a reason why fame was very hard back in the days, because not just anyone should have the right to reach 10 million people at the same time. How many of you agree with what I'm saying? Not everyone should have the right to be able to reach 10 million people at the same time, especially when such a person has very broken ideologies, broken worldview, broken manner of reasoning. And when a time when just anyone can have a platform of 10 million, and it doesn't matter whether they have healed from their childhood traumas, it doesn't matter whether they are, they are, they are, they are suffering from heartbreak and they have some vendetta against humanity, it doesn't matter with their massive platforms and people who are looking for some kind of father figure somewhere, they are able to influence the masses most of the time for the negative. And we're in a time in the world today where all manner of lies, all manner of broken concepts about family, about marriage, about manhood, about womanhood, about children, about God are being propagated and many souls are being destroyed before our very eyes because of a lot of false definitions that are plaguing our world today. And God started ministering to me that it was quintessential to begin to speak about a lot of these things, to give every single person right definitions according to scripture, according to the perspective of God, to arm us with the necessary tools and weapons to engage the world we're in today. So of course, it only makes sense that one of the first things that God would like to address is the definition of God. God. The definition of God, the meaning of God. Everyone talks about God, 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 God. But is it in haven't you paused to, to just reflect on the fact that everyone talks about God, but everyone seems to have some different kind of perspective, worldview, a different kind of mindset, a different kind of reasoning. But they are all calling the same word God. Has, it, has anyone paused to reflect on that? Has that baffled you a little bit that everyone says, I have God, I follow God, I do this God, 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 God. But yet every single person 
is expressing different kinds of qualities. Have you ever paused to reflect on that before? Has that ever been something that you, you would have considered? When we talk about God, depending on where you grew up, what kind of family you grew up in, what culture you grew up in, God will look a certain kind of way. If you grew up in the Middle East, probably God to you will mean, I don't know, going to, going to the mosque on Friday for the masjid. God will mean reading a particular book. If you grew up in Nigeria, God could mean going to church on Sunday. God could mean what people call Jesus Christ. God could mean Jehovah. God could mean so many things. But when push comes to shove, Besides what people utter with their mouths, when you see the manifestations that come forth from their being, it makes one wonder, what God are you actually serving? I want to give us the very first picture, definition of what God is. And before we even give that definition, let me start by saying, there is nobody on God's green earth who is godless. It is actually, virtually, and practically impossible for a person to exist in this world and not have a God. Now, many people might argue with that because when many people hear the word God, they either think of the prophet Muhammad or they think of Jesus or they think of or Buddha, or Krishna, or whatever name people have given to, whatever it is that they bow down to. So some say, just because I don't subscribe to any of these popular, quote-unquote, deities, I have no God. And that is because most of the time, most people don't actually know what the word God means. Are you guys ready for the first definition? Are you guys ready for the first definition? Are you ready? Listen, I like interaction, okay? So if, if you don't talk, yeah, you don't know, huh? yes. are you ready? Yes. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. 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 God is anything you sacrifice for or you sacrifice to. Period. God is anything you sacrifice for or you sacrifice Two, God is anything that you have placed above yourself. Period. God is anything that you sacrifice for and you sacrifice to. When you study the Bible from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation, one consistent theme you always find with God is what? Who can tell me? Who can tell me? And the answer is just in this definition that I gave. When you see God, you always find something associated with him. What is it? Indeed, sacrifice. sacrifice. You will never find God without finding sacrifice next to him or next to it. Whether it's the God of Israel, Jehovah, Jesus, or whether it is Baal, whether it's Ashtaroth, whether it's um, um, uh, Dagon, name it. Wherever you see a God, a deity, or anything of the sort, 
what you're going to find next to it will always be sacrifice. Sacrifice. God is something or anything that you sacrifice for, you sacrifice to something that you have placed above yourself. And when one reflects on this definition very deeply, and you begin to introspect, everyone can begin to realize the God that they actually serve, the God that they actually bow down to. Shall I give you guys a picture? Shall I give you guys a picture? In my reflection now, I remember when I was in high school, you know, in high school, there always be those um, guys and girls who are always trying to be fresher than the next person, you know, so interested in their white shirt. You know, the girls are always interested in, you know, their hair being, you know, they put that baby gel and everything, everything all fresh and clean, you know, like to feel like they're better than everyone and everything, you know. And it's almost as if every day they wake up, they wake up to serve their vanity. Are you getting what I'm saying? Every day they wake up, they wake up to serve their vanity. The reason why I get out of bed is because I want to slay some people's moms and dads. That's why I'm getting up from, from my bed today. My purpose for my rising from my bed is because I want to slay some people's mothers and fathers. I'm just giving an analogy. You know when they say, I'm, I'm going to slay your daddies, you know? <laughs> you get up from bed in the morning and you want to slay some people's moms and dads, right? That's why you get up. That's why you take your shower. That's why you brush your teeth. That's why you comb your hair. That's why you spray your particular perfume. That's why you speak in your fake English accent, you know? Because you want to slay someone's mom or dad. <laughs> Literally, the reason why you have gotten up from bed in the morning, the reason why you have spent two hours on the dressing table is because you want people to look at you and admire you. Would I be wrong to say that in that moment, based on the amount of energy that you sacrificed, based on the amount of time that you sacrificed, that vanity is your God. Will I be wrong to say that? Will I be wrong to say that? I'm asking, no. Because that's why you got up in the morning. That's why you expended your time. That's why you expended your energy. That's why you expended all your thought process in order to allow other people look at you and feel appealed by you and respect you. In that moment, that is what you give everything for. Now, to even take it even further, those same girls, for example, let me just use the girls for this moment. You know, not, like, not like I'm you know, playing a gender game or anything, but let me just use girls for this. <laughs> In high school, those same girls that you could see that they get up from their bed every morning for the sake of their vanities and for the sake of sex appeal. If it happens to be one day in the afternoon, someone insults them after class or someone is rude to them or something and they blow their temper up and they begin to fight with another girl. When they start having their cat fights, you see that the hair that they spend hours to make, they won't tear it off. Their shirt might even be open, something like, you know, like you would just fall on the ground. 
their body is dirty, and they don't even care. Even those that you see some stupid boys who won't come and even start to grope them while they are fighting, and they, know, they will not even know that someone is even groping them. They just want to ex express this anger that they have. All the energy that, that they have spent in service to vanity goes out of the window in service to what? I'm asking. In service to what? I'm asking. Who can tell me in service to what? To rage. To rage, to violence, to their wrath. Or maybe it was even their ego that pushed them in service to their ego. In that moment, it's very clear who that person sacrifices for. Is anyone understanding what I'm saying? Are you guys following me? In that moment, that is exactly, exactly egono or even reputation. You find many people who will do almost anything to maintain a particular reputation in the eyes of people. They will lie, they will steal, they will cheat, they will rob, they will live what we call fake life. I mean, and we see that on today all the time, isn't it? So you have many actors, actresses who can't. What's the problem? At least, okay, let's say you got four million naira, you're able to rent a house. What's the problem? I rented a house. At least I can have. I mean, most of this way they grew up, you know, probably living in a shanty, isn't it? So now you've acted a movie, you sang a song, and now you can pay five million naira or four million naira to pay your rent. What's the problem? Why must you come out and say, oh, thank God, I just bought my house. You know, thank God, God has done it for me. My house, 150M. Like, I, <laughs> are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? And they'll come online posting, you know, 150M, you know, I just bought my house. Thanks be to God. You know, God is faithful. <laughs> like, big life. A slave to the perception of other people, a slave and servant to reputation, a slave to people's opinions. In that moment, can that person say that, quote unquote, Jesus is their God or are people their God, I'm asking. Who is the God of such a person? Who is the God of such a person? People, people, attention. Their ego, pride, but you can say people. Because when they get up in the morning, when they get up in the morning, the first thing they think about is people. Oh, as I wake up this morning, how can I show them that I'm living a very wealthy and affluent life? How can I show them that I'm winning over everyone? How can I show them that all of you who look down on me, I'm now sitting on all your heads? It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter what religion you claim. In that moment, it is very clear who you serve, who you sacrifice for, and who you sacrifice to. And it's important to know this. Because these days, everyone says, oh, I serve God, I serve God, I serve God. But many of us don't even know what God means. Every single person has what we call a hierarchy of values, a pyramid structure of values. Whatever sits at the top of that pyramid structure of values is what is God to us. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? 
Is it something that is settling into our hearts, into our minds? Anything that sits at the top of your pyramid of values, your hierarchy of values, is God. Because before God is a person or is a personality to you, God is first of all a value. God is first of all a value. When the Bible speaks about God, whether it be Jehovah, whether it be Jesus Christ, or whether it even be the gods of the heathen, the gods of the foreign lands, it always speaks about some embodiment of value. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Jesus Christ is an embodiment of values, is an embodiment of principles, is an embodiment of laws. Long before he put on that personality of flesh and blood, those principles, those values existed. And those values are the very things that shape the world. Shall I give an example of a value that shall shape creation? Do you want to know? Do you want to know? Do you want to know the value of faithfulness, of steadfastness, of continuity? Because you wake up every morning, right? And for some reason, you are sure that 7 a.m. will come tomorrow, true or false? Every morning you wake up, you are sure that 7 a.m. will come. You are sure that 12 p.m. will come. Almost so, almost so sure that, uh, we're so sure that you pick up your phone and you tell someone, oh, when is 12 p.m., I'll see you. What is the guarantee that you have that that 12 p.m. will come? Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? What is the guarantee that you have that you will see and experience that 12 p.m.? Why you, what, what makes you so sure about that? That you bank your, 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 your bread for tomorrow on the fact that 12 p.m. will come. Saying, okay, at 1 p.m., you and I are going to have this meeting. Because you see that in creation exists the manifestation of the principle, the value of faithfulness, of diligence. Isn't it so? Farmers, whenever they want to plant for the next year, don't they say, okay, let us wait for the next rainy season before we plant our seed? True or false? True or false? How would, it, how would you feel if you are expecting rainy season to come in the next three months and rainy season doesn't come and you experience dry season for about eight months longer than it should have been? Wouldn't that be very destabilizing? Imagine if it was summertime and all of a sudden snow started to fall. Wouldn't that be a strange thing? Wouldn't it be hurtful? Wouldn't it be confusing? So from manifest nature, from creation, we see very clearly, very, very clearly that nature values faithfulness. It values consistency. It values what some might even call integrity. The sun always comes. The moon always comes. The different seasons of the year always come. Right? If you leave your window open at night, you are sure that mosquito will always come. <laughs> are you guys understanding my point? If you leave your house dirty, you are sure that cockroach will come <laughs> or rats will come. There is a kind of faithfulness 
that is deeply ingrained in the way all nature has been formed. And for nature to look this way is not strange. I want to say that the one who has made all of this creation must also be faithful. True or false? True or false? I'm asking. True. True or false? Indeed. Also, when we observe nature, we see that in some interesting way, every single creature, whether they know it or not, lives, exists for the sake of every single creature. The vulture, for example, in the process of eating carcasses of animals, without even knowing it, it protects all of, all of creation from the poisons that come into the atmosphere when, bodies are, when, when dead bodies are left to rot and all manners of bacteria have formed inside of them. Because vulture eats dead animals and dead bodies and all those things, they save us from a whole plethora of diseases such like anthrax, even polio, all manners of diseases for the fact that they are faithful in eating those dead bodies. The same with the worms, the same with the cockroaches, the same with all manners of organisms that eat dead things. Without them, without them even knowing, without them even trying, they are living for us. How many of us are aware of this? How many of us have thought about this before? All those organisms, without them even thinking about it, they are living and breathing for us. Beavers, for example, do you know that beavers, in the process of making homes for themselves, they create dams that control the flow of water to make sure that a particular piece of land doesn't receive too much water or too little water. How many of us knew this? Yes, How many it's of us true. Knew this, right? Just by being themselves, every creature that exists on God's green earth, Whenever they are themselves and nothing else, their plain nature is in service to other parts of creation. Just by being themselves. The ant, just by being itself, creates pathways in the soil for water and oxygen to flow. Just by being itself. The cockroach, just by being itself, as it eats dead leaves, once it defecates, it returns nutrients back into the soil to allow grass to grow all over again just by being itself. Are you guys understanding? The grass, just by being itself, gives nourishment to the cows, to the goats, to the horses, to the zebras, to the camels, etc., 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 just by being itself. The cow, just by being itself, turns into filet mignon <laughs> and porterhouse steak. <laughs> just by being itself. <laughs> Are you understanding what I'm saying? Without even trying, without even trying, just by being itself, every single element that exists in nature just by being itself, lives as a blessing for something else, lives as a sacrifice for something else, lives as a gift to something else to enable their own life to continue. Now I want to ask us a question. If all of creation looks this way, 
looks in a way that it leaves its life for other things. Is it strange if we say that the creator also leaves his life for other things as well? I'm asking. I'm asking. Is it strange? No. It's not strange. Because when we look at all of nature, this is exactly how it is. And we can actually count on that. We can count on the fact that if we go to the supermarket, we will see meat. Because we can count on the fact that some hunters will go into the bush and see a cow. Because they can count on the fact that the grass will provide food for the cow. Because you can count on the fact that rain will fall and sun will shine for the grass to grow. So are you seeing how all these different things align with themselves to show the very foundational values, principles, laws that allows this world to survive and thrive. Are you guys understanding this? Are you guys understanding this? Are you guys understanding this? There are underlying value systems, underlying principles, underlying laws that enable all of creation to survive and thrive. These laws, these principles, these values is what some people have come to understand as what the Bible calls the God of Israel. Am I making sense to someone here? The God of Israel. The God of Israel. The God of Israel. The God of Israel. The God of Israel is not defined as a particular person. It's not defined as a particular figure or form. The God of Israel is defined by a particular set of values, of principles that even existed before the name God of Israel came into existence. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Long before God identified, because I mean, because at the end of the day, for the sake of our human understanding, we need something natural, something tangible, something we can hold on to, to help us to grasp something intangible. And that's why an intangible, invisible God has to define himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, the mighty God, the this God, the that God, the that God. Because he's trying to meet us in our level of understanding by making himself or attributing himself some physical quality to help us grasp his intangible nature. Because God is beyond all the names that we have called him. God is beyond all the, the, the structures we have used to define him. God is beyond all the statues, all the carvings, all the personalities he has manifested as. But all those manifestations, all those forms and structures and personalities were all embodiments of certain principles that have allowed life to continue. The moment a person 
abandoned those values for values that do not promote an improved life for yourself and even those around you. This is what the Bible calls a heathen. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? I'm trying to introduce us to a concept of God that is beyond our concept and understanding of religion. Do you guys understand? Jesus Christ was very strange in the, in the eyes of the people. Even Paul was very strange because he had an understanding, a concept of God that was beyond their concept of religion. They assumed that just because they were physical children of Abraham, just because they had the physical blood of Abraham running through their veins, automatically they were free. Automatically, they were living in service to the God of Abraham. But Jesus Christ looked at those same people and said, you are of your father, the devil. Have you guys ever paused to consider that scripture? Jesus Christ was looking at people who were obvious descendants of Abraham. And he said to them, you are of your father, the devil. If Abraham was your father, you will not receive me the way you're receiving me now. Abraham knew my day. Abraham saw my day. Because based on the things that they gave their energy to, based on the things that they sacrificed the best of themselves for, it was very clear that even though physically they were born in Israel and by their physical manifestation, they were Israelites, spiritually, they had nothing to do with what the Bible calls the God of Israel. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? I hope no one is lost. Are you guys, are you guys following? Are you understanding me? Are you all with me? Everyone still here? Everyone still here? We'll take off very soon. I'm just trying to make sure I lay very, very important foundation because there are some things that I really want to tackle, especially in our time with this definition of God and gods that we have. And there will be some hard sayings that are necessary for every single one of us to hear. You're following? Awesome. Awesome. The God of Israel, all throughout scriptures, was always characterized as someone who would sacrifice himself for another person to be well. And this was evidenced through all those who came as representatives of him. Would I be Noah? Would I be Moses? Would I be Aaron? Would I be Joshua? Would I be David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel? Every ambassador of God was always characterized by that heart of love that manifests a sacrifice, the willingness to put oneself down, to give room for something else or someone else to rise up upon your back. Now, Jesus Christ appeared into the land of Israel and met the ruling party of the church at that time. They were so self centered that they didn't even care. If some children did not take care of their parents, 
So long as you bring money to the temple, it's all right. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Could such people really be servants of the God of Israel, I'm asking? This is a question for us. Could such people be servants of the God of Israel? Could, some, could such people define themselves? Why? Someone tell me why. Why? Why? Tell me why. You're going to mute your microphone if you want to speak. Tell me why. Why couldn't, they, why couldn't they be defined as people who serve the God of Israel? Indeed. Eliel says they were not showing the values of the God of Israel. Indeed. A.B. Glasgow says because they didn't have the value. Indeed. Because God can never be separated from his values. God can never be separated from his principles. God can never be separated from his laws. God himself is the very law that he gives to mankind. I want us to let that sink in. God himself is the very law that he gives to mankind. Jesus Christ said, my words are spirit and they are life. The very words he gave to people were the very life that he lived by. Those laws were him. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? It is impossible to accept God, to welcome God, and neglect his laws. Because God and his laws are not separate from one another. When you read the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not lie. You can look at it from the standpoint of God does not lie. God does not steal. God does not commit adultery. God does not covet. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Every single one of those laws that he gave to mankind were a description of what he was. They were a description of what he is. To separate yourself from those laws, those values, those principles that make God what he is, is to separate yourself from God himself. Because when we talk about a value, when we talk about a principle, are these things tangible, I'm asking? When you talk about a principle, a law, a value, are these things tangible, I'm asking? Are they, can you touch it? Can you touch a law? I'm asking, can you touch a law? Can you touch a value? No, right? Because when we're speaking about laws, values, principles, we're now in the realm of spirit. These things are intangible. They can't be seen with the naked eye. They can't be touched with the physical hands, but they can be experienced and they can influence physical things. True or false? True or false? When a person carries out a certain action, can't you say this person is moved? I mean, for example, you've seen the Bible a lot of times. When Jesus Christ will see a person who is ill, who is broken, who is downtrodden, the Bible writes, and Jesus Christ was moved in compassion. Yes. That compassion, you can't see it with your physical eyes, can you? No. It's spirit, right? It's intangible. It's a value that governs the man and causes him to move to a person who is ill, broken, or in need of some help, and he helps them. That's God. 
In that moment, if he sees a person that is in need, a person who is hungry, a person who is broken, a person who is downcast, if he sees a person like that, and as opposed to moving to them to try and be of help to them, he starts to think about, ah, how would I look like old? Ah, if I go and meet that person, they will see that, you know, when did you change? Do you guys get my point? In that moment, who is God? In that moment, who is God? Who is God? By two, are you trying to speak? People. How many of us have had moments like that when God will give us a clear-cut instruction and we start to think about what people will think or how it will look like? Or how many, of us, how many of us have had such moments? Be honest. How many of us have had such moments where God gave you an instruction? You knew God told you to do this. But we started to think about, oh my goodness, how will I look? What will people think and everything? In that moment, who do you think was God to you? Just be honest. Who do you think was God to you? Who do you think was God to you? People. You can even say yourself. Did I tell you lie? Certainly not. Because we, we, with our mouths, declare all the time. I serve God, I serve God. I serve God, I serve God. I worship God, I worship God. I honor God, I honor God. I this God, I that God. I this God, I that God. But when one begins to look at the particulars of our lives, it becomes quite evident the things that we actually lay down our lives for. Are you guys understanding me? There are many people who have laid their marriage down for their pride. Their inability to acknowledge their wrong. Their inability to acknowledge their fault. They have laid down their marriage they have even laid down the destiny of their children who will be broken as a result of that divorce. They have even laid down what they even call God itself for the sake of pride. In that moment, it becomes clear who God is to such a, to such a person. It becomes clear who they sacrifice for. Because we have to understand the Bible is a spiritual book that used physical things to express itself. The Bible uses physical realities to express spiritual mysteries. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? And if one doesn't understand that, that the Bible is spirit trying to use the physical to express itself, will miss out on a lot of spiritual concepts the Bible is trying to explain. Because when the Bible talks about sacrifice, in those days, people's properties were turtle doves, cow, oxen, cattle, etc., etc., etc. Isn't it so? So obviously, when they sacrifice unto God, they will sacrifice with those things. But when we look at those kind of settings from a spiritual point of view, we realize that a turtle dove, an oxen, a cow, represents something that is valuable to you, true or false? True or false? I'm asking. True, indeed. The turtle dove represents something that is valuable to you. Spiritually speaking, 
The turtle dove, the oxen, the cow is a representation of something that is valuable to you, something that means something to you. Now, it could be that the next man, the turtle dove doesn't mean anything to me. So therefore, it cannot be counted as something as sacrifice. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? That is why, for example, in the life of Saul, how many of us know that story of Saul when God told him to completely destroy the Amalekites? But as opposed to destroying the Amalekites, he wanted to please his people, so he kept the king, he kept all the cows and sheep of the Amalekites. I said, oh God, I want to sacrifice. How many of us remember that scripture? Right? How many of us remember that scripture? Indeed. And Samuel said unto Saul, that do you think God is pleased by the sacrifice of oxen or by the fat of rams? For obedience is better than sacrifice. In that moment, what was valuable to Saul what was, what was truly valuable to Saul was the way his people looked at him. That was the real value. And even though he said, God, I brought all these oxen to lay down on your altar. God, I brought the king of the Amalekites to lay down on the altar. The real thing that God wanted him to lay down on the altar, he preserved it. Which was what? Who can tell me? Which was what? Who can tell me? What was that real thing that Saul refused to lay down on the altar? Yes, obedience, but I'm looking for something much more. Remember, his reputation. God bless you, Timmy Dio. His reputation. Yes, PR. Are you, do you, are you guys getting this? Are you guys getting this? Is this making sense? Are you getting it? He refused to lay down his reputation. His reputation was so valuable to him. And that's the one thing he did not give to God. He preserved it. And he sacrificed God. <laughs> he sacrificed the God that he claimed to serve for that reputation in the eyes of the people. Isn't it clear what Saul served or what Saul was serving? Is, it, is this thing making sense to us now? Is it clear what Saul was serving? Now, do you see why God rejected him? Because Saul rejected God, right? It looked like Saul lived his life in sacrifice to God. But when you look at it very clearly, <laughs> you see that God was the one that Saul was sacrificing. <laughs> I want us to really pray right now. God, may I never sacrifice you. God, may I never put you on the altar. May I never put you back on that cross again. I'm laughing, but it's very deep. Paul spoke about people who crucified Jesus Christ a second time because of the spirit of rebellion in them. He said, you have crucified Christ a second time. You have sacrificed God himself. Saul sacrificed God. For his reputation. His reputation meant so much more to him. 
than God himself. And that is why he was rejected. That is why he wasn't fit to be king. Because the Amalekites, and we're even going to go into what the Bible calls the gods of the heathens. Because it's something I want us to understand very deeply, especially in this time that we are in. It will give us a lot of insight, a lot of understanding as to what service to God means and what the worship of idols actually means. Because we think worshiping idol is about bowing down to a physical statue and being spiritual is about not having any statue. Not at all. Because you'd be surprised. You'd be very surprised. The greatest, most powerful, and most influential idols that we have are actually the idols within our hearts. The belief systems, ideologies, worldviews that we have formed, that we will sacrifice everything for. Those are the real dangerous idols. The ones that you can't see with human eyes. The ones that are crystallized within our hearts. Those are the real idols that topples families, topples nations, topples even religions. Saul's reputation was more important to him than God. And he placed God on the altar and he preserved his reputation. It was very clear what Saul considered to be God. And that's what you see. And you see, oh, God, give me the words. And I've, you know, this is something I've, I've been saying a lot recently because it, it's something that's becoming so popular. This concept of, oh, release your Isaac, give me your Isaac, you know. <laughs> and every month, the, the first Sunday of the month, oh, the Lord is calling for your Isaac. Release your Isaac if you want your family to be well. Release your eyes if you want God to bless your finances. Give your dangerous... How many of us, how many of us have heard what I'm talking about? Release your dangerous Isaac. Let it go. Let God bless your family. Sow your Isaac now. And most of the time, when a lot of ministers are speaking about Isaac, unfortunately, they always or only equate that Isaac to money. They only equate that Isaac to money. That scripture in the book of Genesis says, Abraham, bring your son, your only son whom you love. Isaac was not, on a physical, from a physical standpoint, Isaac was the son of Abraham. But from a spiritual standpoint, Isaac was something that Abraham loved. True or false? I'm asking, true or false? Isaac was a son of Abraham physically, but spiritually, Isaac was something that Abraham loved. And the reason God called for it was not because it was his son, but it was because this was something he loved. And God wanted to see if he loved this thing more than God, who is an embodiment of the principles, values, and laws that uphold life. And God wanted to see if he loved those principles, those values, those commandments above that gift that God himself gave to him. 
Now, if you understand Isaac to be a representation of something that is valuable to Abraham, you can understand that your money only means something to God if that money is what you value greatly. Shall I blow your mind to show you how money is not what a lot of people value greatly? Shall I shock you? Shall I shock you? Are you guys ready? Shall I shock you? When you get hired for a job, if money was so valuable, how come your boss is willing to part with his 200,000, 300,000, 400,000 in order to acquire your skill set? Are you guys are you guys are you guys getting me? Are you guys getting me? If money is so valuable, if he loves money so much, how come he's willing to part with his money to acquire your skill set, your expertise, to acquire what you bring to the table? Is someone getting my point? To show you that there are many things in this life that we value more than money. In Nigeria right now, there's a scarcity of cash. But is it cash that people are really crying for? Or are they crying for the inability to commute from one place to another? Are they crying because they're not able to buy bread in the streets? Are you guys getting what I'm saying? Are you guys getting what I'm saying? Is money really what they're after? Or is it the ability to commute? Is it the ability to, to buy bread or drink water? Now you find that some people will much rather pay a hundred thousand. In fact, you will find some children in this generation, especially, who maybe growing up they had real issues with their parents, and their relationship with their parents was dislocated, and they don't want to feel so bad. So they don't talk to their parents. They don't visit their parents. They don't really call their parents. But every month or the seventh of the month, they send a certain amount of money. Now, that person is willing to give X amount of money to the parents every month. But they are not willing to give that parent a phone call. I want to ask you a question. What is more valuable to that person? What is more valuable to that person? That pain and hurt they have or that money that they give away. I'm asking. What is more valuable? That money that they give away or the hurt that they hold on to? Indeed, the hurt, the pain. In that regard, that pain is that person's Isaac. That pain is your Isaac. It's your promised land. It's your promise that you're holding. And what if the only way you can move forward in life and change your present state of situation is if you give up that icing. Are you guys getting my point? These are things I'm not really teaching people. They tell you your, marriage, your, your marital problems will be solved if you sow Isaac of $1,000 when you have not sold Isaac of forgiveness. For that time when your wife or your husband lied to you about something or maybe they shouted at you or maybe they embarrassed you in public you are quick to sow $1,000 for your marriage but to sow that forgiveness 
for that time your spouse embarrassed you in front of your friends. You can't show it. Are you, are you guys getting my point? Are you guys getting my point? In that moment, it becomes clear what you worship. It becomes clear what you serve. It becomes clear what you bow down to, what you revere, what you honor, what you adore. Because it is impossible to be a man and not bow down to something. Something must be your God. Something must be what you consider to be your savior. When a person gets up and I wake up this morning and what I want to do is enact revenge on that girl that told lies against me. That image of that your friend feeling the same pain that you felt when you were embarrassed becomes your God. You live and breathe to see that image come into manifestation. You're not a servant of Jesus, believe you me. Doesn't matter how many times you go to church. Doesn't matter how many times you fast and pray. By virtue of what you are willing to sacrifice for, I can tell you who your God is. And we also can know who our gods are. Are you guys following me? Is this, is this hitting home? Are we beginning to reflect right now? Are we all beginning to reflect? I'm sure by now we can see that all of us here have many gods. <laughs> that thought of vengeance becomes something that consumes our mind. Ah, this person can never get away with what they've done. And without knowing it, because you wake up every morning cherishing that person's sorrow, you don't know that you have begun to worship the pain. You have begun to worship the spirit of vengeance. You have begun to worship the spirit of malice. Now you live your life in service to this thing. It's why you get up. It's why you breathe. Some people, you are 35 right now. The very thing that makes you get up in the morning to grind is that insult that someone gave you at 22 that you will be nobody. When are you going to let that go? That's why you get up every day. It's not for your family. It's not for your husband or wife. It's not for posterity. It's to prove someone wrong who has probably forgotten about you. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? And your whole life is in service to that thing. And do you want to know why that's a problem? Because the time will come that in order to appease that thing that you have called God, you'll find yourself creating sorrows and pain for yourself and sorrows and pain for those around you. Am I lying? Any business that worships the entrance of money into the account above everything will eventually hurt their staff and will eventually hurt their customers. True or false? True or false, I'm asking true because a day will come where really and truly forget about all these customers that come and go 
you need to actually sit down with your employees and understand the challenges that they are facing and sit to it. And if money and profit is your God, on that day when it is most crucial to see your staff, you won't see them. And believe me, it will mark a, a, deep, a deep scar in their minds that they probably would never forget. And as they see you every day, they will just tell themselves, I am waiting for that moment that I can find a better opportunity. I will leave you immediately. Because deep down, they've seen that you don't value them. You guys understanding what I'm saying? When we reflect very deeply, we'll start to discover the different kind of gods that we sacrifice for, that we sacrifice to. Now, what are the gods that the Bible speaks about? Because in the Bible, we see all manners of gods, deities being spoken about. We see Ashtoreth, we see Baal, we see Dagon, we see, you guys, some of the names, we see Moloch. Many, 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 many. All manners of gods. And oftentimes, a lot of us just say, oh, I reject Moloch. I'm not a servant of Moloch. I'm not a servant of Baal. I'm not a servant of Ashtoreth. Shamesh. Or Shemosh, whatever it's pronounced. And we say, oh, 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 oh. I serve Jesus Christ, though. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I don't serve Baal. I don't serve Ashtoreth. If someone calls Ashtoreth, ah, you. But we have not actually paused to ask, why did God consider these gods to be false? Has anyone actually paused to ask that before? Has anyone actually paused to ask that before? Why did God call these gods false gods? Because we make the mistake of just saying, oh, you are false because you are from a different country, or you are false because you are from a different religion, or you are false because you are from a different race or family, but we haven't actually understand why, understood why God calls things false. And I'm bringing this to bring us into a new realm of reasoning and understanding as to why God lifts up certain things and brings down certain things. Are you guys ready for us to begin to pick some few things and gain some understanding? Are you guys ready? If you're ready, shout hallelujah. <laughs> Let me know you're still with me. Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> Come on. Hallelujah. Come on. All right. All right. All right. All right. Now let's look at the first God. Right? Moloch. How many of us have heard of Moloch? The God that people were sacrificing their children to, isn't it so? We've all heard of Moloch, right? The God Moloch, indeed. Have you ever wondered why yeah. God was against the worship of Moloch? Let me first of all start by saying, I want us to write this down. Every statue, because when we hear gods, most of us just think of statues, you know, that people had in their temples and so on and so forth. And this, oh, the statue of this one with two wings and a horn on the head. All those things don't really mean anything. Right, Because when we read the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus Christ was described as a lamb that has seven horns. If something like that appeared to you in your dream, wouldn't you run away? I'm asking. <laughs> if a lamb with seven horns appeared in your room like this, <laughs> you were going to run now. 
right? Right? If something stands in front of you with four faces, a man here, and a lion here, a, an eagle here, and all, you're going to run. What are you staying there for? You're going to faint, friend. <laughs> so it's not this physical representation that makes something demonic, right? And I, want to, I just want to melt that ideology from my head. Because when we think of demonic, we just think of anything that looks like what we're not familiar with. That's not what makes a thing demonic. And the fact that something looks physically appealing, that's not what makes it angelic. We have to understand this figure I'm seeing, what does it represent? Are you guys understanding me? Because God is spirit. And what is always against is never anything physical, but things that are also spirit. And when we talk about spirit, before we begin to talk about principalities and powers and all these complexities, we need to understand that a spirit is something that has the ability to move you. Because like, like I taught last year, the word spirit is from the Latin word spire, which means wind, right? Or air. And wind is that which moves everything, but you can't really see it. Isn't it so? Isn't it so? If a wind blows this room like this, everything moves. And you can only verify that there's wind because of the things that are moving. But the wind itself, you can't see it, right? Because it's force. It's not, it's not physical. Are you guys understanding my point? So God doesn't, his battle, his contention is not with physical things. is with spirit. His contention is not with this statue that you have. It's the spirit behind that statue. What that statue represents. Because many people have the statue of Christ in their homes, in their churches, in their businesses. But when you look at the things that are carried out in those places, you see that the activities being carried out are nothing short of witchcraft. So the statue means nothing. The Bible you have, that you hold in the grand scheme of things, means nothing if it is an embodiment of the wrong spirit. You guys understand? The Bible says the letter kill it, but the spirit gives life. And of course, if you if get theological for my theological people here, that word letter is not for the whole scripture. It talks about the law, but it's still the same thing, right? Without the spirit of God that brought the law into manifestation, that law that is going to bring deliverance unto mankind will be the very thing that will make mankind bound. So when we talk about false gods, deities, idols, I want us to, first of all, abandon statues and all these physical things. We used to judge things, right? And let's start to focus on what these things represent. Are you guys with me? Awesome. Write this down. Every statue is an embodiment of some principle or ideal that people sacrifice for. Every statue is an embodiment of some principle or ideal that people sacrifice for. Now let us now investigate the statue or the idol called Moloch. And when we unpack it, you're going to see how very deep this spirit of Moloch is. And you see how, 
You think Moloch is just in the Old Testament? Oh, you see how it is in almost every family. You will find how Moloch even exists somewhere in your life. By the time I explain this, you see how nothing is new under the sun. And that which was is what is and what will be. Because sometimes when we read the Bible, we say, oh, just because I don't kill my children. Oh, I worship God. Oh, I don't worship Moloch. But it's much deeper than that. Are you guys ready to go deep? Are you guys ready to go deep? Are you guys ready to go deep? Awesome. Awesome. Moloch was a pagan god that was worshipped by most especially the Canaanites. And it was a god that demanded the sacrifice of children. Right? It was a god that demanded the sacrifice of children. Let me ask you a question, just from a general point of view. What do children represent? What do children represent? Let me give you a, let me give you a hint. Children are usually called the leaders of what? Children are called the leaders of what? So what do children represent? What do children represent? Your future. It represents posterity. It represents that which is to come. It represents hope. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Molech is that spirit that consumes what is supposed to be in order to bring gratification in the present moment. There's a very popular video that became popular in the year 2021 that many people did not know was a manifestation of the spirit of Molech. Shall I tell you the video? And all of your mind will be blown. I want to tell you the video and show you that it's Molech. Shall I tell you? You will laugh now when I say it. You will laugh, but you feel some kind of, some, some reprimand in your heart. Any money where I get like this now for enjoyment. I don't care about my future. My future not going to go anywhere. <laughs> You're laughing now. <laughs> no way about my future. My future not going to go anywhere. Any money where I get like this now for enjoyment. <laughs> but I want you, you don't know how subtle these things are. Because we think, oh, when in when when it's 20, 21st century, and oh, it's just cartoon, oh, it's just jokes, but you don't realize that every one of these things, there is nothing that exists in the physical world that is empowered by some spiritual principle. That you nothing can exist without a spiritual root. Whether it's the spirit of happiness or the spirit of love or the spirit of charity or the spirit of empathy, every single physical thing is a manifestation of something spiritual there is nothing physical that is not charged by spirit and we need to understand this in a very fundamental way and a video like that that was easily absorbed by a whole generation creates people who are willing to sacrifice posterity for satisfaction in the present moment when we're coming from a world of people who died to make sure that their children will be free. Who gave themselves so that their, their generations can have hope. Who bled for freedom is a pain. Is a pain. 
when the black Americans that drag themselves in the mud to be free from slavery see what is happening to their future, they will cry, they will kill themselves. It is what we doubt for is very deep. Is very deep. When the forefathers look at what they kill themselves for, they will roll ten times in their grave and they will cry till all the hair falls from their head. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? And we have a generation that is raising up itself and all it cares about is itself, no matter the cost. It doesn't matter who dies. It doesn't matter who is sacrificed. It doesn't matter who is destroyed. It doesn't matter who is burnt. So long as I'm okay now, so long as I can eat today, so long as I can sleep on my bed, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens tomorrow. Even something as simple as, you know that you have to start your day tomorrow very early. Right? You have to start your day tomorrow very early. And what you want to achieve tomorrow requires you waking up at 7 a.m. in the morning, but you are still up at 2, at 3, watching this TV show, knowing fully well that as you stay up watching this TV show, you're already eating your tomorrow for a gratification today. Is someone understanding what I'm saying? Are you guys understanding me? Just by staying up to 3, knowing fully well that everything you need to achieve tomorrow will require your waking up at 8. Already today, you're already eating your tomorrow. That's the spirit of Molech. That which is willing to sacrifice posterity for pleasure in the present moment without giving a damn, without fearing. Now, that was what God was against. And you have a whole race of people who live their life like that. Because we read it, we just think, oh, it's just about killing your child. No, it's not just about killing child on the altar. The Bible is a spiritual book that talks about spiritual realities. It's not just about killing their children and sacrifices on an altar. It's about eating their tomorrow today. And that's how they live their life. And if you look at the world, I mean, look at the world we're born into. In the year 2020, when COVID struck, I remember that river in Italy. I think it's the Venice River. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. Whether it's the Venice River or something like that. They just left. That river was very dirty. As of the beginning of the year 2020, the river, the river was very dirty. A nasty river. Just those few months of COVID, where people were forced to stay in their homes and away from the river, that river cleaned itself. Guys, am I telling a lie or is this true? Am I telling a lie or is this true? Just a few months, they left that river alone. It started to clean itself, showing how much damage, showing how much damage people had been doing to the world that they live in, ensuring that their children will suffer 
for their foolishness. Many of us don't even know that since the day we were born till now, we have never in our lives inhaled fresh air. Some of us don't even know that. That since we were born to date, fresh air has never entered our lungs. We don't even know what fresh air is. Have you seen Lagos from an airplane down? Have you seen the atmosphere? It's like a mire pit. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Agreed. Cutting down territories for animals that have a a very important function in our ecosystem in the name of greed. Oh, it's all about the dollar, 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 dollar. It's all about the money, 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 money. You ain't got no money. Shut up. (laughs) Now, in the name of dollar, you enslave your fellow man. In the name of dollar, you destroy natural habitat of creatures that you actually need in order to survive. In the name of dollar, you build factories in a place, employ children for pennies, and even desecrate their land. My friend was telling me that where he grew up in Bonilla Island in, in Port Harcourt, that oil has so mad that land that if you wash your white linen and hang it on the outside, in a matter of hours, your white cloth will be black. Who can verify what I'm talking about? Who's from Port Harcourt? Who can verify what I'm saying? Who can verify what I'm talking about? Indeed. Thank God there are some people here. Indeed. Hang, just hang your white cloth. One hour, it will be soaked in black because of the, the fumes of the oil. Indeed, the soot city. It's in the future for today's pleasure, for today's gratification. Many of us don't even know See, Solomon talks. Solomon said, Remember your God in the days of your youth. Before the days of sorrow come, and you say, I have no pleasure in there. That's why a lot of times I always talk about remember God, remember God, remember God. I always talk about remember God, remember God. I know why I always say this thing remember God, remember God. Remember God. Solomon said, remember God in the days of your youth, before troubles come. Before the day of troubles come. Because in the youth, how does you start generally? You know, you go to college. Your parents pay your school fees. They give you pocket money. How much trouble do you really have? The only trouble is just the management of your funds, isn't it so? That's just the trouble you have. As, as, as an adolescent, right? The only trouble is just the management of your funds, the management of the resources they give to you. But you don't work for those resources. All you have to do is just pass school and your, your trouble is just you know, making sure that you just get good grades. By the time you graduate from school and now your parents say, hey, listen, you need to stand on your feet. Now, a little bit of trouble come because now for the first time in your life, the first trouble you actually face in your life, do you know what it is? It is the trouble of being responsible for yourself. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that before? That's the first trouble you actually face when you become responsible for yourself. Some of us are even like 30-something. We're still not even responsible for ourselves. Our parents are still responsible for us. They say, oh, don't do this, don't do that. The first trouble you face in life 
is the trouble of responsibility for your own self. The trouble of responsibility for your own life. That's the first trouble you face. The next trouble is when you find a partner. Now, you're not just responsible for yourself, but now you're responsible for your husband or your wife. Isn't it so? Now your troubles are increasing. <laughs> because when Abel was missing, God asked Cain, where is your brother? Because you are meant to be a brother's keeper. So you're not just responsible for yourself. You're not responsible for your significant other. God then help you if you have a child. <laughs> now you're responsible for yourself. You're responsible for that man or woman. And you're not responsible for this innocent boy or girl. God help you if you now have two more after that. <laughs> then God help you. You now start a business. And people's monthly eating is dependent on you. So now you don't just think of how you will eat, how your wife will eat, how your children will eat. You have to think about how your several staff will eat this month. <laughs> God help you now. If you're not a public servant, now you are now a responsible for a whole constituency. Now your problem is not just how you eat. <laughs> are, you, are you guys understanding what I'm saying? And as all life starts to go and troubles begin to increase, and it becomes increasingly difficult to hear God. It becomes increasingly difficult to consider his ways. Remember God in the days of your youth. Because many people don't even know that in this moment, just based on the way they are presently living their lives, their tomorrow is already eating up. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Their tomorrow is already eaten up. And based on the way they're living their life now, they have guaranteed that when they're 60, they will beg for bread. Am I lying? Am I lying? Am I lying? You have guaranteed. Shall I not show you how this thing can express as anything? Shall I prove it to you? Shall I prove it to you? If you see a person running a 40-kilometer marathon. And in the first kilometer, that person is sprinting like it was a 100-meter race. How would you feel about that person? <laughs> you guys are laughing now. <laughs> Dancer, you are Captain America. <laughs> Based on what I've been teaching now, what can you say that person is doing? The one who runs, like he's running a 100-meter race, whereas he's a marathon. What's that person doing? What's that person doing? What's that person doing? Indeed, a lack of understanding. We can also say that they're what? Wasting energy, but there's a, there's a phrase I've been using since. I want you to use that phrase for this. They are doing what? Indeed, he's eating his future. He's eating his tomorrow in the present moment. In that moment, the spirit of Moloch is in activity. Now, do you see why God called that a false god? Are you guys understanding the read? Does it not make sense why God said that God is false? Do you guys see it? 
Do you guys, do you, I mean, if you're not a Christian, can you deny this logic? Even if you're not a Christian, this logic, can it ever be denied? Can it ever be denied? You can't. God is not illogical. Anybody that tells you God is illogical lacks understanding of the logic of God. When we were all children, whenever our parents would tell us, brush your mouth, go and take a shower, go to school, it all seemed illogical to us. But over time and experience, we began to see the logic in the things our parents would ask us to do. And then wisdom came. God is not illogical. God is 100% logical. But it so happens to be that the logic of God presently supersedes the logic of man. So as opposed to saying, God, you don't make sense. How about you pray? God, ascend me to your realm of logic that I might begin to see things from your point of view and live as you are. How about we pray? God, let me see like you. The moment Lot was separated from Abraham, immediately his eyes became opened and he saw the promised land. Because up until that moment, his vantage point and God's vantage point were two different places. But in that moment that Lord was separated from him and he began to walk fully in that step of faith, alignment happened. And all of a sudden, God's logic became a reality in his life. Moloch, it's tomorrow. Shall I go deeper? Shall I go deeper? <laughs> Shall I go deep? All right. Moloch eats children. Spiritually speaking, I just give I just explain children to represent the future. I, re, I explain children to represent posterity. Moloch, um, the children also represents. Those that are, in summary, the, when the Bible speaks of children, spiritually speaking, children means sons of God, servants of God, prophets of God. That was like a code name in the Old Testament that many people didn't realize. That even when Jesus Christ said the children, the children, he was not just talking about children. Because he said, if you want to be, enter the kingdom of God, you must be like a child. Because when the Bible talks about children, it's always in association to the sons of God. That's why you see, when Moses was born, what was Molech doing? I'm asking. What was Molech doing? When Moses was born, what was Molech doing? Who can tell me? He was killing boys, he was killing babies. When Jesus was born, what was Molech doing? Indeed. The same way Pharaoh was killing children in order to eradicate the prophetic bloodline that God was bringing into the world to usher creation into a new dispensation is the same way Molech was trying to kill children when Jesus Christ was born. Because the prophets, the sons of God, are always the ones who usher people into the next realm of evolution. That's why when they speak, most people don't understand what they say until 200 years later. Because the prophets are the future. Are you guys understanding? The prophets don't just see the future. The true prophet doesn't just see the future. The true prophet is the future. Are you understanding? You look at them and you're like, my God, where do you, what realm do you live in? 
Because ideally, based on what they just did to you, you should not be a happy man. How are you happy? Oh, you don't understand. I live from a different realm and dimension. I'm here to show you what is possible. Are you guys understanding? Molech always seeks to kill the prophetic voice in every generation and dispensation. If he cannot kill them physically, he will kill them by discrediting their voice and making them look like fools in the eyes of men. If one can see clearly, you realize that the spirit of Molech is very much in activity in our time. If you cannot murder the children physically, it will murder their innocence. It will murder their ability to consider the will of God to be common sense. It will take everything away to make sure that the sons of God never grow into their full stature. It murders them. The ones that God has brought into the world to usher humanity into our next phase of evolution, into our future, it murders them. Simply because what? Simply because it wants to be free. While it marries the same sex, while it says, well, I'm he or she or this, while it wants to make whatever money, no matter what it does, in the name of gratification in the present moment, it assassinates its future. It's a false God. It's a false thing to bow down to. And anyone who bows down to such value such ideology, perdition is guaranteed for you. You can't escape perdition. Any country in history that was in power, that served Molech, was ruined. Because they had their tomorrow, today. Where is Alexander the Great? Can you tell me where he is? Where is he? Where is Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon? Look at Iran. Look at them. You can never even conceive of the fact that once upon a time, that land, Iran, was a world power. Look at Egypt today. Egypt is known as a land of scoundrels. In the Arab world, they look at, they look at Egypt like armed robbers and thieves. The Arabs don't even consider Egyptians to be Arabs. Do you guys know that? It's we on the outside that look at Egyptians as Arabs. Arabs don't consider Egyptians to be Arabs. Do you guys know that? They don't call Egyptians Arabs. When they say Arab, the Arab will tell you the Arab are all in those countries along the Arabian Gulf. That is United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Kuwait, um, Bahrain, uh, Saudi Arabia, and all those nations. About eight or so in number. They don't, con they don't consider those ones to be Arabs. They look at them as if you say you're Egyptian. Ah! An Arab will say, ah, they'll be afraid of you. <laughs> you guys understand what I'm saying? Yeah, this one, this what they call it in Arabic. They say, ah, this one is Kachara. <laughs> Does anyone speak Arabic here? They say, ah, this one is Kachara. And they'll do their hand like this. This one is Kachara. Kachara means trash, like dustbin. <laughs> they say, Kachara, this one, Kachara. <laughs> Imagine. A nation that once upon a time, all peoples on the earth went to for sustenance and survival. Now, their future is called Kachara. 
trash. That's what happens when a nation serves Molech. When they eat their future for the sake of gratification in the present moment. That's why when I meet people for the first time, and you are too fired up, I thought you slow down, my dear. Slow down. Oh, give me everything. Oh, give me this. Let me read that. I say, my dear, calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Oh, give me, give me. I say, calm down. Because they'll be everybody. They want to do everything. Oh, give me all the books. Oh, let me join every session. In two weeks' time, bam, well has finished. Now they will disappear for six months. Did I tell a lie? Did I tell a lie, people? <laughs> okay, you're laughing. <laughs> Some of us want to lose weight. The weight you gain, you didn't get it in two weeks. But you want to lose that weight in two weeks. How does that make sense? It took you, it took you four months to gain this weight, four months of reckless eating. And you tell yourself, I want to lose this weight in two. How <laughs> let me not comfort some people this evening. <laughs> huh? <laughs> It took you four months of eating like, I don't even know what to call it. But now you're now thinking two weeks, you lose the weight. You're not going to gym three times a day. You run here, you do the, how, how does life work like that? In that three weeks, won't you be exhausted? Now you now become burnt out. You now go back and eat what you did not even eat in the beginning. <laughs> the pressure will not hit you, say, God. Ah, I will be fat for life. (laughs) Are you guys understanding me? Huh? Moloch doesn't ever consider posterity in what it does. Moloch. I remember I told you guys once of a particular man who was speaking on Twitter. The man is about, the man is about, I think, like 60 years of age, and was giving advice to the youth, and he said, Listen to me. Make sure you don't make the mistake that I made when I was a youth. And he said, when I was a youth, I was a very prominent lawyer and I made a lot of money. I had a lot of international clients. And because of that, I always had to go out of the home and everything. And every time my children will come to me, daddy, there's open day. I'll tell them I'm busy. Every time my wife says, oh, let's, I'm busy. My child will come and say, come and do this. I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. And most of the time, his children were growing up, they were used to that phrase, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. 
Now, when he got older, the children had all gone to different countries to live and etc. etc. And because he showed them how to value work on the outside above family, when the wife was sick, that's his wife, their mother was sick. Oh, can you come down and see her? No, the wife, the mother actually died. The mother died to come for the burial. Out of the three children, only one came. The other one sent a representative. The third one didn't even come. Why? Oh, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. He now got sick later on. He was calling his same children. Oh, guys, can you come and, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I just got a new job. Don't say, oh, I just gave birth to a child. I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. And I'm in his old age. When he will actually need his children the most. Because he abandoned them when they needed him the most. They were nowhere to be found. Because when he was young, in the name of the pursuit of business, of money, of all these things, he did not know that he was eating his future. And when that future came, he discovered that there was nothing to be joyful about. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? This is what God calls a false God. It's not just statue. Now, I, I don't understand. Is anybody's mind opening up? Is it, is it just me that? Yeah. Are you, are you, do you guys not understand me? Are you, do, you guys, do you guys know what I'm saying? Are you guys understanding me? This is why Molech was considered to be a false god. It has nothing to do with sentiment. It has nothing to do with race. It's not the people that worship those false gods that were evil. It's those ideologies, those values they held that were evil. And what God always seeks to destroy are those false, that the Bible says the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to pull down strongholds and cast down every imagination that has lifted up itself above God. And you must understand when we talk about God, you must define that God they are speaking about. That's why gods are always giving names. So that you can identify it with what it is, it, what its attributes are. Because when you say I've, I've, I've followed Jesus, what does that mean? Man, there are three billion Christians in the world today. Three billion. But yet the world is darker than ever. So I can tell you, there are definitely not three billion Christians. There are three billion people that call Jesus Christ's name, but what his name embodies. What he as a person represents, there are only a handful of people that actually call that name. That's why the sons of Seva were beaten until they were naked. Because it's not just calling the name. It's for your own life itself to call everything that name represents. And because the reality and dimension of the Christ life was missing in the sons of Seva, it lacked the power when they called it. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? 
Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? God, or what the Bible calls the God of Israel, is the spirit of compassion. The spirit of compassion. The spirit of compassion. That spirit that makes you to feel connected to the next man. That you don't consider yourself as a separate entity from the next man. You don't see yourself as different. So much so that if this man is hungry, you consider yourself to be hungry. And what you would do for yourself when you are hungry is what you do for that person when they are hungry. That's the spirit of God. If you don't bow down to that, you don't bow down to what the Bible calls the God of Israel. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Now you can understand why Jesus Christ talked about the good Samaritan. If we are deep in Bible studies, we know when the Bible says good, good. What did Jesus Christ say when they called him good teacher? What did he say when they called him good teacher? He said, why do you call me good teacher? No one is good except one. That is God. No one is good except one. And it's a mystery. Ah, should we go into theology today? There's another small theology. He said, no one is good except one. Bring another scripture. You see, he didn't say except God. He said except one. Why did he say one? Who can tell me why? Why did he say no one is good except one? Why didn't he say except three? Why didn't he say except nine? Why did he say no one is good except one? One is a Hebrew word, echad, which doesn't just mean one, but means unity. When the Bible says the God of Israel is one, it means he's, he's united, he's a unity. He's connected to all things, he's not divided. That's what the Bible defines as good, that which is connected to its neighbor. And from God's actions towards mankind, you see how connected he is to every single one of us. That you can't even deny it. And that definition of good, he ascribed it to a Samaritan. Do you guys understand? Because just a good Samaritan, but because a lot of us are not studious, we don't understand the depth of such a statement for him to call a Samaritan good. A Samaritan is supposed to be a heathen, someone that is of a different nation, a different religion, but he called him good. Because based on what he manifested, it was clear that though I am of a different race, though I'm part of a different belief system, by virtue of my actions, it is clear what I bow down to. And those high priests and Levites that saw that injured man and walked away, those ones are not sons of God. Even if they are part of the caste of Israel. Even if they're general overseers, even if they're regional pastors, zonal pastors, all that does not mean a damn thing to God. If your actions show that you bow down to something that does not look like God. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? That's why I always challenge Christians. You go to evangelize to a Muslim, but you also still Fear can make you steal and rob another man because you're worried about whether you eat tomorrow. And that fear becomes your governor that you rob another person 
he has to go and evangelize. What are you evangelizing to him? That person probably does not even steal. He's the one that should evangelize to you. Because what strength does he have? That even in the place of lack, he still won't steal from his neighbor. You should ask him to lay hands on you and put that spirit in you that can allow you to have that integrity. That even in the place of lack, you won't steal. Yet you're going to go and preach. What are you preaching to him? What do you have to give him? Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? What do you have to give him? God bless you, Timothy, for that scripture. You find a single proselyte, yet make them twice the son of hell. That's what the Jews were doing back then. What do you have to give to that Muslim? What do you have to give to that person who, does, who is even a, an atheist? An atheist that will break his back to feed his family. Do what he can to make sure that everyone is okay. Sacrifice himself. Abandon a lot of life ambitions. But you, you are eating your tomorrow today and you want to preach to him, you should ask him to lay hand on you to give you what he has. Is anyone understanding what I'm saying? Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Are you guys understanding? Are you guys understanding? The Pharisee that was so much more consumed about his prestige, how people would look at him, that that great concern for his image that made him abandon a man on the wayside, such a Pharisee, is not considered to be a son of God. But a Samaritan, the one who has never heard about God from your language, from your mode of communication, that through his action shows that he lives his life submitted to everything that God is. That one knows God more than you. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Even if they know God in, a, in an unconscious way, in an indirect way, they know God more than you. They have fear of God more than you. They are afraid, some of them are afraid to cheat a man, that they will go to the supermarket, they will give them extra change, more than what they are owed. They will run after that person, take your money. What, gives, what makes them have that kind of heart? Even if they have never heard the word Jesus Christ before, what gave them that kind of heart? You should go and ask them and let them teach you, let them lay hand on you, you who are lacking that grit. That person knows God more than you do. Are you guys understanding my point? It's not because Paul was a Jew or was a Christian that he was able to preach to the Romans. It's because he, he lived by those values that Christ lived by and the Romans didn't. When he found Romans who lived by those values, he called them brother. And brought them into a deeper realization of that spirit that they already know indirectly. It's not because they are Israelites and this was our Philistines. Oh, God created all the Israelites. God didn't create. No! The moment the Israelites began to live like Philistines, God treated them the same way. And they suffered the same consequences as the Philistines. True or false? Am I lying? Am I lying, people? Is this true or false? indeed true. Because God is not a respecter of men. God is a respecter 
of spirit, of principles, of values. I've given this analogy, analogy before. You have a company. Are you hiring Deborah or are you hiring a data analyst? I'm asking. If you have a company and you're hiring staff, are you hiring Deborah or are you hiring a data analyst? I'm asking. Are you hiring Chukwemeka or are you hiring a driver? I'm asking us. Are you hiring Chukwemeka or are you hiring a driver? The moment Chukwemeka ceases to be a driver, what happens? When Chukwemeka wants to turn to your pastor, Chukwemeka wants to turn to... Uh... <laughs> are you getting my point? He has lost his purpose. Right? Because Israel was not the point. The point was the submission to the divine values, principles, spirit that caused all of creation to be. The moment they neglected it, they received the same flogging as everyone else. Were there no cities in the Bible that Jesus Christ was preaching about that he said, warn to you, for in the day of judgment, Sodom and Gomorrah will speak against you. Meaning that those cities were not even as bad. The, um, Sodom and Gomorrah was not even as bad as those cities. Even Nineveh, didn't Jesus Christ say Nineveh will rise up against you in judgment? To show that Nineveh, as bad as they were, they were not even as bad as some of those cities that Jesus Christ met. What is Israel that makes you special? It's not being a Philistine that makes you not special. Because if it's about being an Israel, like all of us are condemned. Because are you, are you from Israel? <laughs> are you from Israel? The Bible says on the last days, 144,000 Israelites that will come out of the great tribulation. Okay, if that's the case, then all of us are finished now. Abi, <laughs> there's no hope for you. <laughs> when you say she's Igbo, it's true. Igbo, where is Igbo in Bible? <laughs> <laughs> is Igbo in Bible? <laughs> I mean, will you find Bayasa inside the Bible? <laughs> but the Bible says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the what? The earth. And he said, Blessed are the Jews. And he said, Blessed are those people that come from Calabar. And he said, Blessed are the Imo people. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God was always lifting up qualities, values, attributes above even people. Am I lying? Am I lying? In the book of 1 Kings chapter 1, when Adonijah wanted to plan a coup against his father David on his deathbed, and David handed over his kingdom to Solomon. Adonijah now became afraid and went to try and hide himself. And he begged Solomon to preserve his life. What did Solomon say? He said, not a hair on your head will be harmed if iniquity is not found in you. But if iniquity is found in you, on that very day you will die. And guess what? In 1 Kings chapter 2, Adonijah was killed by Solomon, even at the front of the temple. Why? Iniquity was found in him. He never, God never had a problem with people. Solomon didn't have a problem with Adonijah. God didn't have a problem with Saul or Eli. 
He had a problem with what they bowed down to. Are you guys understanding this? Are you guys understanding this? He had a problem with what Saul bowed down to. In the name of libido and sexual desire, David was willing to assassinate a man. How can you bow down to that? I want you to understand, it's not the sexual desire that is just the problem. It's what that can lead you to do. Because you know whether something is good or bad, look at how it will look like if you go all the way with it. See what will become of you. If you go all the way by worshiping sexual desire, there's nothing on this earth you will not do. And there have been many men who have lived for sex and you see what became of them. They wasted themselves and they wasted others. That's what the Bible said. These are the enemies of the cross whose God is their belly. What do you bow down to? Am I preaching to someone here? Are you guys understanding? What do you bow down to? What do you revere? What do you consider to be holy? What do you lift up? What do you lift up? What do you lift up? The problem, one of the Amalekites, every single God you see in the Old Testament represents a particular quality, principle, set of values that were antagonistic to creation. Before I go into the second half of this and wrap up, this is the point where I want to hear from us in just 10 minutes, thoughts, comments, questions. Please raise your hand. Thoughts, comments, questions are welcome. In just 10, 15 minutes, let's achieve this. First of all, how many of us are enjoying this conversation? How many of us are actually enjoying this? How many of us are learning? How many of us are learning? How many of us are feeling a change happening within their heart? Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Timmy, that's said the heaven is dropping. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, the temptation of Jesus now makes sense. It will know. Because there... God wanted to see what he actually bowed down to. Because at that moment, he was tempted to see whether the opinion of man was of greater value to him than fulfilling the destiny that God put in front of him. Assuming he picked that throne that the enemy was going to give to him, it would be clear what his God was. His God would have been the opinion of people, the praise and adoration of people. And such a person can only go so far. You know why? Because people are fickle. People only praise you so long as you do what they want. And people's wants and desires change like the weather. That's why it's a problem when you worship people because people are unstable. There's a reason to everything that God tells us to do. If you live to appease people, you will eventually go astray because people change. And they only worship you when you do what they want. Jesus Christ knew it. He said, these people, they're only here because I'm giving them bread. If there was no bread, they would leave. 
if any small danger appears, they will leave. Even his disciples, they left to tell you that their God was here. Even though they professed loyalty to Jesus, when, when he became a life or death situation, it was clear who their God was by virtue of what they were willing to sacrifice and whom they were willing to... They, they sold Jesus Christ. <laughs> they sold him. They sold, without even thinking twice, they sold him. <laughs> it was clear what they worshipped, what they actually bowed down to. Jesus was sold to fear by Peter. Jesus was sold to greed by Judas. It was clear who their God was. It was clear what they bowed down to. It was clear. So if I go to the next half of this, by God's grace, I want to see if I can end this lecture by 10.30 so that if it's, I don't want it to be too much so that our head is not too hot. I want, to, I want to leave here with a, with a lot to be short and sweet. So before I talk about the next half, questions, comments, thoughts. So raise your hand just about 10 minutes for this, 10, 15 minutes for this window. Okay, well, yet she shoots. Okay, um, thank you so much for like everything that you spoke about. A question that I had in my head was, um, when Jesus said wisdom is justified by her actions or like when um, the proof of who you are is by what you do and that it's not necessarily about like, okay, us saying like we're the sons of Abraham or whatever, um, but it's by our actions. How do you counter that with when like people say that um, your righteousness is not by like your works, but you know, by the blood of Jesus. Um, and what happens to like people who are not saved, but they really are good people? If that uh, is what I'm saying, making sense, I guess. Or yes. do, is there a better yes. way to frame it? I don't know if anybody can reframe my question. I could appreciate it, but that was just what I was thinking about in my head. Yeah. I understand your, your question. Um, there are a lot of your question has many many dimensions so let me see how to answer everything in a nutshell when it's a, wisdom is justified by actions it means that you are only considered wise by doing wise things right if you are if you are you are you're with a friend and Maybe your friend is heated about something and your friend is shouting. If you are shouting back at the time your friend is shouting, you're obviously a fool because it's not wise to shout back at someone who is shouting. Obviously, they can't hear you and both of you are going to be frustrated. You'll fight more and there is no solution. So in that moment, based on your action, you're not wise because wisdom is only verified by what comes out of you. It's justified by your actions. If, on the other hand, they are shouting, and in their shouting, you're actually listening to the root of their pain. Beyond the way they are expressing it, you identify the root of their pain. And you are not able to say, oh, I didn't mean it that way. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You find how in that moment, 
the situation can change completely. That's why, for example, Solomon said, a gentle tongue turns away wrath. In that moment, when you respond like that, it is very clear that wisdom is there. If you respond otherwise, maybe you shout back or you shout back, it's clear you're not wise. Because wisdom is not in talking, 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 talking. Wisdom will always be in the act. Right? Now, what's the half of your question? Let me just, let me just um, make sure I tie everything together on YouTube. Yeah, so the other half, excuse me, the other half had to do with like, what about unbelievers who do really good things? Um, What is their God, I guess? Um, And will they be saved? Like, even if they don't profess God, but like things that they do are good. Yeah. Now, there are a lot of people who, who do good things. But their goodness is not really, let me use the word, a conscious thing. In the sense that some people too are also very bad. And their evil is not really conscious, right? They are not really, there are some people who you think are bad, but really no one has ever really been nice to them, right? So they're only reacting to what people have done to them. You guys understand what I'm saying? They're not really bad people. They're not really mean people. They're just used to people being mean to them. And because of people being mean to them for so long, they just became mean as a result of what people have done. Such people, if you are kind long enough, that's if you have that patience, you have that strength. If you're kind long enough, all of a sudden you start to see that, wow, this person is actually nice on the inside. You guys get my point. Meaning that their evil was an unconscious evil. They thought they were conscious in their evil, but it was an unconscious reaction to evil that was done to them. They are not really and truly evil. It's not something that is deep. <laughs> Does anyone understand what I'm saying? I'm, I hope I'm, I'm bringing it out. To find a real evil person is as scarce as a diamond. Someone who is evil, as in evil, that their evil is irrespective of what's in the environment. Is very scarce. They are scarce as saints. That is true devils that are conscious of their evil. They are rarer than diamonds. But people don't know that. Most people think they are evil. They are not evil. They are just reacting to what they are like. It's just like they are also living in, in, a, in a mechanical way. It's all they know. So there's nothing that like, nothing else can come out. They don't, they, they are, their evil is untested. Your evil is tested when good is brought in front of you and you melt. Judas was not evil. He wasn't evil. When he saw what was happening to his master, he killed himself because he couldn't take that. He was not an evil man, believe it or not. Judas was a good man that made a foolish mistake. And it was clear by the repentance that happened within him when he saw what was going on with his master. His evil wasn't pure. It was an evil that was weak and untested. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Some people, you see they are evil, but they're not, they just haven't received, they've not been exposed to enough love. That's why they look like they are evil. On the flip side, there are people who you think are good, who you think are kind, are sweet, but their kindness and sweetness is equally unconscious. Are you guys understanding me? You grew up in suburban America. Your parents made sure that you don't, nobody swears around you. 
You know, you no one has ever knocked your head. You know, if anybody in school, as much as pushes you, all the parents in the PTA gather and make sure that that child is expelled. You know, no one has ever told you, go to hell. No one has, are you guys understand what I'm saying? No one has ever molested you as an eight-year-old boy or girl. You grew up completely, you know, life, nothing really tragic happened. So obviously you'll be polite. Oh, are you okay, birdie? Oh, don't hurt the bird. Oh my God, she hurt the bird. Oh my God. <laughs> are you guys understanding me? <laughs> so they're sweet, they're nice, they're kind. They do good and nice things, you know? <laughs> Wait until they meet some kind of people. Are you guys understanding me? Your light can never be verified unless it's able to shine aggressively in darkness. Now, for that, you need God. Forget about what anyone says. You, we, you need God. I say you need God. I say you need God. And the light shined forth in darkness. And the darkness could not comprehend it. How are you not defeated? How are you still kind in this hell of a place? How can you still smile? How can you still be patient with this animal of a person? How can you still forgive? Oh, it must be the grace of the Most High God. The kind of man can never do it. And that's when it will fail. Are you, are, you, are you guys understanding what I'm saying? It takes the grace of God. That's, that's the difference. I said that's the difference. Jesus Christ said, what does it profit if you are kind to those that are kind to you? What, what does it profit? It, it profits nothing. Even the heathens are kind to those that are kind to them. So it means nothing. But to be kind, that is, you are still able to generate love, kindness, humility, patience. When nothing physically around you is generating it, you must have a different source of power. Now that's always the differentiating factor. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? This yes. is the difference. Most people who say they are kind, I mean, have you guys not heard about the Holocaust in Germany, Nazi Germany in the 1940s? Have you guys heard about it? The Holocaust? Have you guys heard about what they call the concentration camps? Have you guys heard about the concentration camps? Did you hear about how most of the wicked guards in those concentration camps that raped children, that cut off people's fingers, used them for experiments, most of those soldiers, those guards, were gardeners, were primary school teachers, were grocery store attendants, they were just ordinary people who people thought, oh, they could never hurt a fly. Oh, such sweet people. They were sweet because the opportunity of evil was never granted to them. They were never given a stage to manifest the darkness that was really in their hearts. So it looked 
like they were good. It looked like they were holy. It looked like their goodness was conscious. No, it wasn't, it wasn't conscious. It was an unconscious reaction. Some of them, it was an unconscious reaction to fear of the law. I'm kind, not because I'm kind, but because when I'm not kind, they punish me. So because I'm afraid of punishment, I'm kind to you. And I forget that I'm afraid of the law and I believe that I'm kind because I'm kind. But actually, I'm just afraid of punishment. Am I lying? When you stop at the traffic light, do you stop because you care about the traffic law or because you care about paying a fine? Tell me the truth. Don't lie. Tell me, why do you stop at the traffic lights at 2 a.m. when the road is empty? Are you stopping because you, you care about the law? It's because of the fine. Especially in Lagos, where police will appear from the most mysterious places. <laughs> the night you say there will not be police here, that's the day you just pass the line. You don't see that red and blue at your... God, you say, oh my God, they got me. <laughs> it has happened to me a few times. Once I don't say, you don't catch me, I beg. I, she say, I beg, I'll be your brother. See me as I, I'll be your, you know if you do me bad. <laughs> you have to beg. Now, you're not, they have caught you. You're in their power. You have broken the law. So now you have entered into their realm of authority. Yeah, you must beg. <laughs> And that beg is not with just mouth. <laughs> so by the time you have been you have been eaten by police officers two or three times, ah, you'll be a law abiding citizen. Not because you care for the law, but because you care for that 15,000 in your account that you will eat that night. <laughs> Are you understanding what I'm saying? So you're not really lawful. Your lawfulness is not really a conscious lawfulness. It's not really as intentional as you think. It's just situational, circumstantial, because of the things that you have been exposed to in your environment. Are you guys understanding me? Because of the things you've been exposed to, because of the things you're used to, it has created almost like an image of goodness. But deep down, you're not really... Even if nothing around you can verify that, if push comes to shove, it will be clear what you're made of. A lot of these young girls, oh my God, don't hurt the fly, don't hurt the bunny. Oh, oh my God. At 15, that's how they are. Oh, mom, oh, mom. At 18, let them date one useless boy that will waste their life, take their virginity, maybe impregnate them, make them do abortion two times. Then they will dump the girl for the best friend. Ah, let me see if that, oh, will still be there. <laughs> was that too raw for you guys was that too raw or am I speaking the truth to somebody hmm? am I speaking the truth ah, this is life my friends now you see when that happens oh it takes the grace of God the flesh cannot do it that's always the difference it's always a difference you need to you must know God Forget about you must you must know God to be able to re retain your purity in the midst of that much mire and corruption. It must be God. So that's my question. That's my answer to you, Yechi. I hope I hope it was clear. Yeah, I yes, yeah. The awareness of God um on the like 
is what is able to give us true goodness. Thank yes. you. True conscience of God. Yes. And in truth, again, I've talked before that salvation, that's a different, that's a whole thing on its own. But when we talk about salvation, it's not about saying, I believe in Jesus, right? Because what is he saving you from? Your bondage is not being part of Islam. Your bondage is not Islam. Your bondage is not Buddhism. Your bondage is not Hinduism. Your bondage is your pride. Because in all those religions, you still see people who are bound to pride. And in those same religions, they do the same things that prideful people do. True or false? True or false? Is it Islam that hurts people or is it pride? Is it Christianity that hurts people or is it pride? Are you understanding my point? Is it Islam that breaks down homes or is it lost? So we need to know what the real problems are, the real bondages are, and what salvation really is. Because everyone is saying, I'm saved, but you look at the life and it's very clear what you are enslaved to. The Bible, the book of Romans says, the Romans chapter 5, when Paul said, don't you know that the one who is, the one who is a slave to sin, well, there's a way of phrasing it, it skips my heart. Holy Spirit caused me to remember. It skips my heart how, it says, don't you know you are a slave to anyone who you obey, whether of sin, whether, whether obedience leading to righteousness or sin leading to death, don't you know you are a slave to whoever you obey? Also meaning, don't you know you are a slave to whoever you worship, who is your God? Right? So many people say, I'm saved. But you look at their lives, the things that they obey. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? You're angry and you take a plate and you fling it at someone, knowing fully well that plate can cut their head open, but you're fine. You throw a cup at them, you throw a book, and you are comfortable doing that. What are we talking about? Right? What are we talking about? What are you what salvation do you have? Well, maybe you are saved from laziness, but as far as anger is concerned, you're far from slave. You're still a prisoner. Guys, do you understand me? Do you guys understand me? Awesome. 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 Okay. Joy. Joy. And then Mr. Mr. John. Joy, go ahead. Okay, Joy, okay, Joy's question. Joy says, my question, you spoke of how Jesus was sold to greed by Judas. Are you able to share how this expresses itself in the now and in how our world today can often be governed by greed and betray the anointed? I mean, it's, it's, it's very, it's, I mean, for example, you just, you just, um, you just got your salary right? And Jesus Christ ministers to you and says to you, hey, listen, I want you to take a part of your money and give it to this particular person who is in need. If you reject the instruction that God gave to you, you have sold Jesus Christ to greed. It's as simple as that. Because you placed what was your own immediate and personal desire over what he asked of you. And understand, every, every time God asks, asks you for something, I want us to write this down. Every time God asks you for something, God is trying to give you something. 
Every time God asks you for something, God is trying to give you something. You see it in the life of Abraham. You see it in the life of Joseph. You see it in the life of Moses. You see it in the life of Jesus, who God demanded his life, but he was actually trying to give him life eternal in the highest of the highs. True or false, guys? True or false? Every time God asks you for something, he's trying to give you something. So if God says, I need you to give this time to this person, I need you to forgo your, your, I know that your expertise, you collect X amount of money for your time, but I need you to forgo what you're owed and help this person. If you refuse, you have sold God for a 30 pieces of silver. Because remember, God is found resident in every single being that exists. And to treat any single person cruelly is actually to treat God cruelly. Every time a sin, every time God said a person committed a sin, go and check it, they did something wrong to their brother or sister. That's what the Bible talks about, how on the, on the final day, I will come to you or you come to me and you say, and I'll say to you, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. For when I was hungry, you didn't give me bread. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me drink. When I was naked, you didn't give me clothing. And they'll say, but master, 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 when did we see you hungry and did we, we didn't give you food? When did we see you <coughs> thirsty and we didn't give you drink? You say, for as much as you didn't do it for the least of these people, you didn't do it for me. So if God says, go and give that person, God is actually to give to him because he does not consider himself as separate. Remember I said the spirit of God is the spirit of compassion. It unites itself with all things. He doesn't consider himself as separate from the next man. So if God says, help this man, God is saying, help me. That's what the Bible says. The one who lends to the poor, who gives to the poor, lends to God. Why does the Bible say that? If God does not associate himself with the poor. And poor in this regard, you must understand, is not someone who is lacking materially or someone who is lacking anything at all that you are able to provide for, right? Whether they are poor in love, poor in patience, poor in empathy, poor in knowledge. Are you guys getting my points? Poverty has many meanings in the Bible. It's not just money. So when you say a person is poor, it means you lack something. Do you guys get my point? Do you guys all understand that? Right? Awesome. So, Joy, it's your question. That's an example of how, you know, we can sell Jesus Christ to greed, right? Judah sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Those 30 pieces simply, they simply represented what he considered more valuable than Jesus. So every time, every time we lift up something more than Jesus, we're selling him for our greed. That's a fact. Whatever it might be. Whether it's our time, whether it's our money, whether it's our relationships, whatever it might be. In that moment, we're selling him for our greed. And that's how it looks like in our common day life. I hope that's clear to you, Joy. Hmm? Is that clear? Okay, we move on. Mr. John, good evening. Well, evening, Oshaka. How are you? So well today. How are you doing? Not too bad. Fine, thanks. Um, I joined late, but I'm happy I joined because I'd already seen your post and I said I was going to join, but I got caught up watching uh, football. Um, but for me, what I got from what you said, the description about how the Moloch um, thing still continues until tomorrow, 
Uh, I think the example you gave about the 60-year-old man who was a lawyer, and not because I'm a lawyer, but it makes <laughs> so much sense as a parent. Um, and it takes me back to Genesis 128, after God created Adam and Eve. Uh, the Bible says, and God blessed them, and he told them to be fruitful and multiply. Um, that blessing and that fruitfulness was in connection to their multiplication. It wasn't about money or food or anything because the Garden of Eden had all they needed. But they did not have the sons of God, like you put it, the generations to come. And I think that's what I got from it, as in when we eat our future or our tomorrow is when we destroy our kids. And it's not our kids alone we're destroying, but we're destroying ourselves. The man that his wife died and he was ill and his kids didn't have time for him is because the father in the beginning was not fruitful. He didn't bear the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness within his children. I know Jesus said, I can only do what I see the father do. So his kids ended up doing what they saw him do. Oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time. I'm too busy. But if we operate from what you're saying, and that's what the Moloch does and you know the devil does, he wants to eat your future. You know, he wants to destroy what God wants to give. You know, God says, um, uh, I think in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, trying to prosper, trying to give you a better future. God is talking about eternity. We are living about now. But now is neither here nor there. But the now that is most important is to accept, you know, what God wants to do for us, which is like, you know, what you're talking about now. How do we betray Jesus? Um, like the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, you know, he's done everything, did this, that. But when God said, give everything away. And that's what Moloch does. You know, behind the scene, you, you give him everything and it gives you instantaneous gratuity but god's own is not instantaneous in itself it's about picking up your cross daily like you said you know no one is good you're only good because the circumstances allows you to and you're only bad because the circumstances allow you but a true evil person it's neither the circumstances nor what it is that is just who you are so with everything you said, it's, you know, it's true. The Bible says nothing is new under the sun. The same deception the serpent did from the beginning. And which is why, if you look at what the serpent attacked, it was marriage. And marriage is future. And what did Jesus come to redeem? He came to redeem our future. And we're supposed to, in Revelations, we're supposed, we are the, um, the bride. He is the groom. We're supposed to now marry ourselves back. So um, I'm happy I joined. And I see that, you know, regardless of how many houses one has, cars or whatever, your children are key. Not just for your own tomorrow, but for their own, which includes their own. And that includes their own. So thank you so much. You know, it's amazing every time I hear you talk for someone so young. You know, you are, you know, and it's because you spend time. So thank you so much.
God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes, like said, God is anything that we sacrifice to and sacrifice for. And most of the time, it has little to do with a physical personality or any kind of form whatsoever and has more to do with intangible values and principles that we have come to inherently know. I said I was going to talk about the other half, which is a continuation of the first. But this other half, I want to make it more modern. 